KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, DIY creatives, and you. Thanks for plugging into your community weeknights at 6 here on KRCL. Laura Jones, can't remember if I said that or not because I'm having some technical difficulties, but we're sorting them out and getting ready for a, a great show for you tonight. Questions, comments, suggestions, you can send them to radioactive at krcl.org. Stick around. We're going to start our legislative previews for the lawmaking season this evening. We're going to have Sue Robbins with us from Equality Utah and also Nika Allgood from Mama Dragons. And we're also going to hear about the latest in a lawsuit on redistricting in our community. League of Women Voters and Mormon Women for Ethical Government are standing by in Zoom. I'm going to cross my fingers that the tech gods are cooperating and we'll be able to share their voices with you tonight. I ask for their patience. If uh, there are any issues, we're going to flip the script and we'll start with something that I want to share with you this evening. And it's more about the glamour and the squalor. It is our Music Meets Movie selection this Thursday at Brewvies. You can find more details at krcl.org. Gavin Dahl, who just filled in for eBay on the afternoon show, was able to talk to his uh, DJ hero, Marco Collins, legendary Seattle DJ, who is a subject of the glamour and the squalor, so stick around for that. Rallies and Resources is a list of events we think radioactive listeners will be interested in. You can find it at krcl.org. Click on the Community Affairs tab, you'll find Rallies and Resources. And it's just a list of rallies, resources, things we think you should know about that you might want to take action on. Today, or excuse me, Wednesday, is the last day to apply as a volunteer with the 2023 Sundance Film Festival. You want to go see the Film Fest, but maybe it's a bit rich for your blood? Well, volunteer and you'll be able to help at venues and uh, get tickets that way. And Wednesday is the last day to do that. I've got a link for you to apply in Rallies and Resources. Wednesday and Thursday this week, it is the Weber River Confluence 2023 Conference, building partnerships for strategic success. It's at the Ogden Eccles Conference Center in Ogden. And we talked about it on the show Friday night. You can check out the archive of the show online and hear what it's all about. You can also have a link in Rallies and Resources to sign up for this conference. Friday is the last day to submit public comment on UDOT's proposed expansion of I-15 from Farmington to Salt Lake City, Friday, January 13th. Please don't read anything into it being Friday the 13th, folks. But the website is I-15EIS, as in environmental impact statement, .udot.utah.gov. You can provide input on a variety of ways at that website. You can study the plans they've got on that website. And of course, again, the last day to leave comment is this Friday. All of those can be found online at krcl.org. Click the Community Affairs tab to find rallies and resources. Let's see if I got my computer working, shall we? We've got Kathy Beely with us and also from MWEG, Mormon Women for Ethical Government, we have Laura Lewis. Go ahead and unmute, folks, and uh, let's uh, say hello. Hey, Kathy. Hey, Laura. How are you? Hi. How are you, Laura? 
Hey, it's working. Yay. It was like, <laughs> like a bunch of stress packed into two minutes right before we cracked the mic. So I appreciate you being patient, our listeners as well. I've got a late breaking press release from your organizations and some, some news about the case against Utah lawmakers who basically threw out uh, the results, all the work of Better Boundaries and Prop 4, where the people said, we want fair redistricting. So I'm not sure who wants to start with the, the top headline there. Kathy, how about you? Well, let's just say that this is part of the legal process going forward. We had hoped that uh, the district court would be able to go through all the facts before it went to the Supreme Court, but we're fine with it going to the Supreme Court. We trust them. They are good attorneys. Um, unfortunately, I think the legislature just wants this to be over and, they, and done so that they don't have to deal with this anymore. But we are all about the voters. We're trying to tell the voters what has happened to them and what will happen to them. Okay, so this gerrymandering lawsuit uh, challenging Utah's congressional redistricting maps is going to the Utah Supreme Court, correct? Correct. And there's a twist in this too, isn't there? In that they've added something back in about uh, lawmakers just throwing it all out, Laura? Yeah, so um, we are are very pleased that the Utah Supreme Court has um, decided to reinstate our claim that the Utah legislature illegally repealed Proposition 4. So that is something that at the trial level they had thrown out, and now they are reinstating that portion. So we're very pleased with that, um, and we really look forward to um, having them hear the full case and all of the claims. And just what K- Kathy said, um, regardless of, of who, which court hears the hit case where the facts remain the same and we are really looking forward to presenting our arguments before them. Now, the Campaign Legal Center is representing the League of Women Voters of Utah and MWEG, Mormon Women for Ethical Government, as well as individual voters in this lawsuit to block Utah from implementing its congressional redistricting map. Um, but now the timeline is what? Do we know when we're going to head to the Utah Supreme Court specifically, Kathy? I'm not sure that we have an actual time uh, certain. Are we, Laura? We, the, the district court was ready to go to trial at the end of May. Um, I'm not sure what the Supreme Court has said about when they will hear the case. Any tea leave reading here, Laura, that the Utah Supreme Court says, uh, forget about it, we're coming over here? Is that good for you? Is that good for lawmakers? I mean, I think that we we always knew that this case was going to go up on a, appeal and eventually the uh, Supreme Court would, would hear the arguments um, in this case. And so this is more of an expedited process. Um, like Kathy said, we'd hope to present our facts um, at the trial level and then go on from there. But really, I think the main... Um, the main thing here is that our case is moving forward. We're pleased that they've reinstated our argument about uh, the repeal of Proposition 4. You know, all of our claims will be reviewed. Uh, we're very confident in our legal argument and um, ultimately we'll have our day in court. Now, I believe you're still doing some outreach in the community to make sure everyone's up to speed on this and has a chance to get educated but spread the word. Any town halls still to come with either MWEG and the league separately or collectively? We're, we're joining MWEG. MWEG has set up a number of these cottage meetings. We've already been to St. George, 
uh, Orem, uh, Salt Lake, of course, and Centerville. Laura, we have what coming up? Deeper? Yeah, so we have several kind of on the docket. Um, we have uh, coming up, uh, we're still working out some of the details. We have one in Midway this week, as well as uh, a Park City, Twilla, um, and, and potentially some other locations as well. So definitely stay tuned for details on that. Those, the, the public are invited to attend, to discuss this, how it's impacting their communities, um, and to, to learn more about the case. All right, Laura Lewis, how can folks get in touch with MWEG and get all those dates? Okay, so um, yeah, you can sign up uh, for our um, for uh, emails from MWEG on our website, um, and you can follow us on Instagram, um, Facebook. Also, um, like Kathy said, the league is also doing these, and so I think any of our uh, social media or channels or our website is a great place to find out. Is it in addition to our newsletters? What's the website, Laura? Uh, mormonwomenforethicalgovernment.org and Kathy Beely you're with the League of Women Voters of Utah and Salt Lake what are the websites or socials you want to send folks to so they can catch up on this issue but all of the great outreach and monitoring the leagues do during the legislative session yes we have all the information you could possibly want on lwvutah.org um, we also have uh, links to the MWIC meetings the cottage meetings on our calendar so you can easily find them. It is important that people understand what redistricting means to them. And that's what we're trying to tell you. We don't want this to be too wonky or difficult. This is all about you, the voter. And you getting as the voter to choose your politicians instead of the other way around, Kathy and Laura? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for your time. I appreciate you zooming into Radioactive tonight. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Laura. Take care. And that is our update on the League and MWEG's lawsuit. And if you care about voting, voting, redistricting, and one person, one vote, it's an interesting case to follow, and I hope you will. Check tonight's show notes for more details. All right, coming up on Thursday, it's another round of Music Meets Movies here with KRCL. And the feature on Thursday night at Broovies is The Glamour and the Squalor. And I just want to remind folks before we get into this conversation that Gavin Dahl had with his uh, radio hero, Marco Collins, that it is 21 plus on Thursday at Broovies, downtown Salt Lake. And tickets at the door, doors at 630, movie at 730. A bunch of KRCL DJs going to be hanging out. So I hope you'll join us. In the meantime, let's roll tape and get to the conversation with Gavin Dahl and Marco Collins. You're tuned to KRCL. My name is Gavin Dahl. I'm so excited about our next edition of Music Meets Movies at Broovies here in Salt Lake City this Thursday night, January 12th at 7.30 p.m. We'll get together for a screening of the documentary The Glamour and the Squalor. It first debuted at the Seattle International Film Festival back in 2015. The film charts the rise of Marco Collins, legendary rock and electronic music DJ whose style and music taste defined the sound we loved. By we, I mean those of us growing up in Western Washington in the 1990s, and then soon after, everyone who was tuned to modern rock or what became alternative rock radio during that decade. Not only that, Marco dove headfirst into the emerging dance music scene, bringing artists from London and Paris and around the world to our speakers in the Pacific Northwest. For me, that meant finding out about the Prodigy, Daft Punk, the Chemical Brothers, before I even had my driver's license. 
Marco's story is invigorating for music fans and radio geeks, but it's also a cautionary tale about partying too hard and, you know, really learning to find a balance in the particular scene you're part of. And I've got a special treat for all of you KRCL listeners this evening. Marco Collins joins me from Seattle. Hey, Marco. Hey, Gavin. How are you? I'm so good and really excited to talk to you for the first ever time on tape. Um, yeah. You're really not that much older than me. We both work in public radio these days. You're a beloved DJ at KEXP in Seattle now. But do you ever have mixed feelings when you hear, I liked you when I was a kid? I mean, <laughs> your work was definitive for 80s babies from Seattle like myself. But does that ever throw you off when people are like, I listened to you in no, diapers, man? Not at all. I love it. I mean, that was an amazing time in my life. And, you know, I'm not the guy that, would deny that time period at all. You know, when Nevermind became 10 years old, I was asked to do a bunch of interviews for it, and I refused to do them because I always felt like, no, you've moved on. That was a certain time. And then I realized if I'm not doing the interviews, that means somebody that doesn't know as much or that wasn't there is doing the interviews. So I just got over myself. Now, for me, I'm super appreciative of the fact that people love that era in music and the fact that I could be a part of helping usher some of that stuff in for people. Well, let's do a Nirvana question. You know, back in 91, you were the first radio DJ anywhere to spin Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Talk about your mindset back then, your sense of what was happening around you in Seattle at that time. Well, when I got to Seattle, I got to Seattle in 91, and the first two records that were given to me was Nevermind by Nirvana and Pearl Jam's 10. Being the music director of a commercial alternative radio station at that time, that was a powerful sort of moment for me to get those two records. I was a fan of the scene before I got here, but I had no idea how big it was going to get. And Seattle is such a small town, not so much anymore, but was and had such a small town vibe that, you know, you would see Chris Cornell walking down the street. You would see Eddie Vedder shopping at the corner store. You would see and hang out with the, these people all the time. It, it didn't feel like it was as big as it actually was. It felt very sort of small and local. Part of what made grunge music in the 90s so exciting to young people like me was the embrace of dissonant views, you know, punk rock attitudes, but also kind of a crossover appeal. I mean, a lot of bands were making sort of their own twisted version of pop, right? And also edgy yeah. lyrics. I was looking back at All Apologies when Kurt sings Everyone is Gay, right? In, in the film about your career, The Glamour and the Squalor, you reveal you were bullied growing up and then later struggled with homophobia in your own career. So I guess my big question on this is, did the music end up moving the needle in terms of culture and acceptance? Oh, absolutely, especially with Nirvana. I mean, Kurt Cobain, when In Utero came out, the only interview Kurt Cobain would do was with The Advocate, which was a gay magazine. Um, Kurt's sister was gay. Uh, she and I used to hang out We'd go to gay bars and get all the free beer because she was Kurt's sister. <laughs> um, yeah, we used to work that angle really hard. Um, no, Kurt definitely, you know, by some of the things he would stay, say on stage or in interviews and um, how positive he was about gay culture, totally moved the needle. 
Although it's interesting because if you ask his sister, he was not always this open, you know, as open as he was early on. When he found out she was gay, initially was not very happy with it. But that was a different time, you know. Um, but yeah, totally moved the needle. It changed a lot of things for me. And uh, the film explores some of your own activism around marriage equality and other rights um, yeah. battles. Um, you're tuned to KRCL. I'm Gavin Dahl. My guest is Marco Collins. He's a legendary radio DJ and truly one of my biggest heroes growing up in Seattle. His rise to fame happened at KNDD 107.7 The End, a very special kind of commercial radio station back in the day. Nowadays, he's part of the mighty public radio music station, KEXP, in Seattle. And we're showing a documentary film about his life and career, The Glamour and the Squalor, at Broovies this Thursday night, January 12th at 7.30 p.m. With tickets at the door, you can definitely still come and join us. Chris Ballou of the band Presidents of the United States of America called you, you know, the on-off switch for your potential career. And I, I still remember on your show, The Young and the Restless, you were touting local bands doing shows like Mocktube, Reggie Watts' band. And, you know, Reggie Watts went on to lead the house band on The Late Late Show. Are there other examples of folks you played on the end back in the day? You've not only spotted great bands that, you know, were cursed to obscurity, but you also saw the talent in someone like Reggie Watts in the late 90s who goes on to be, you know, this nationally recognized person. To me, talent is talent is talent. You support talent and you have no idea where those people are actually going to end up. So you do it for all the right reasons. You get behind those artists because they're fantastic artists. We broke a lot of artists that weren't Seattle artists also you know, on the radio, like Beck and Garbage. When we started playing Garbage, the record wasn't even done. Like, <laughs> I found a single on a little British compilation out of the UK, and uh, we added it. And the same week, K-Rock added it, and things took off. And Butch Fig, you know, I ended up sort of forging a relationship with Butch and Shirley early on, but they were just trying to make their debut record in the studio. I remember calling Smart Studios, uh, Butch's studio, and talking on the phone with both of them when they were like, hey, you want to hear some mixes? We're on song number four. One story I'm hoping to ask you about today is what exactly happened with Pearl Jam's Vitalogy? My recollection <laughs> is you played the album before you were allowed to due to like an embargo or something, and then your punishment was having to allow Eddie Vedder to host a pirate radio broadcast takeover on the end. This uh, I, I love that myth, but no, we, we got a hold of the record <laughs> through interesting sources uh, <laughs> that I haven't really revealed 100%. But we got a hold of that record. We played the record. There was no punishment. Okay. But, you know, what they were doing was really exciting on, on those on the second and third album. I mean, it was exciting for a lot of people on the first record. I was a bigger fan of Pearl Jam on Verses and Vitology than I was the first record. And I think the band echoes that, too. You know, the band likes the production. They had more control on those second two records. I mean, the whole self-pollution radio thing and Eddie's pirate radio station, we were just always supportive. So, yeah, we had them on the air whenever, you know, we would flip our signal and sort of align with theirs. I still have cassette recordings, you know, made over the airwaves 
after Kurt Cobain's death, there was a self-pollution radio that featured live performance debuts of Foo Fighters and, you know, Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic's new projects. I think that was Sweet 75 at the time. Sweet 75, yep. Well, Grohl wasn't in Sweet 75. That was just Novoselic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but I think Foo that Foo Fighters, I think the first I knew of Foo Fighters was on, it was like from Eddie's house or something, like on one of these broadcasts. Yeah. I mean, that's. How great is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Gavin, those times were amazing. You know, it, I'll be honest with you. Looking back, I took it all for granted. You know, I mean, I was in the moment living it, having a great time, but we didn't have the internet. So we didn't know, except for MTV News and occasionally mainstream news and newspapers, how big the whole scene had gotten outside of Seattle. We didn't know. We were just doing our thing, having a great time, drinking a lot of beer and making a lot of noise. I mean, it was an incredible time. Okay, two more questions for you. With fellow DJ Brian Beck, you started the show Ultrasound on KNDD. Um, yeah. This was such a game changer for me and my friends. You brought us electronic music you know before we could get anywhere <laughs> without our parents you know um and you brought the prodigy to end fest in 96 i think and the crystal method in 97 so you get a lot of credit for taste making with rock but don't you also feel kind of a sense of pride about mainstreaming dance music in seattle so early i feel the most pride about that the grunge scene was already here the grunge scene was already happening like for me I felt like you can't keep hashing the same source material again and again. Like at the point that I started searching for something different, we were in third tier grunge bands. And at that point I was like, you know, there's something else out there, you know? And I went to London, went to a couple raves and had an amazing time and discovered a bunch of bands, bought a bunch of records and, came home and was like, this stuff needs to hit the airwaves. And we created this uh, show, this electronic show. And at the time, I got a lot of criticism from the Seattle Times uh, about trying to force electronic music down people's throats. And in a way, I guess I kind of was. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, I, I felt like it was important and it was unique and the word alternative meant so little at that time that i was like what's alternative you know this is alternative to the mainstream so i was trying to fit in all those tracks the first fat boy slim record that was only an import uh the chemical brothers prodigy we flew them over for Enfest, but i was screaming this stuff from the top of my lungs and it paid off but it didn't quite pay off to the level that I thought it would. I thought, you know, electronica, as it were, was going to be as big as grunge. And it didn't happen, but we were playing Daft Punk when there was just a 12-inch of Defunk. And to me, that's, again, the thing I'm probably most proud of at that time was really getting behind the electronic music thing. Make it work next to Alice in Chains. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a challenge. <laughs> You're featured in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What's your advice to other DJs, and why is radio still relevant? You know, it's funny. I wish radio was more relevant. And honestly, it's non-coms, non-commercial radio stations that 
I think are relevant. Are you guys a non-com? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's where you're really pushing the boundaries. You know, the rest of sort of the radio world is still focused on charts and, you know, company-wide programming. And to me, that's just, it's not what made the end big. It's not what is making KXP big. I would just say, follow your passion, get off the playlist tip, go into your community, look at and see who you can support in your own community. Find the bands that are on the rise in your own town. And a lot of radio stations have forgotten that and, you know, pump in DJs from LA. And to me, that's problematic. That's gonna destroy the format if it hasn't already. I think about you backing an artist like Cassandra Lewis, you know, you hear her voice, you see her live and you're like, oh my God, she's going to be huge. And I think probably some of your friends and fans are like, wait, is this country? Like, what are you doing, Marco? You know, but you're like, hey, it's good, man. You know? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for bringing her up. I, you know, I've always just been a fan of talent across the board. And when I saw her play, I was so blown away. I was on my feet and it was like, I saw her play on a river in portland next to a tugboat and i walked away going man this woman is got a voice that i have not heard in a long time now we have become really good friends i helped her get her management team they helped her get a record deal she just recorded her brand new album she moved to nashville you know zero to 60 everything happened in less than a year she had one song out when I found her. Um, I honestly think that she's going to be massive. That voice is so pure. So, yeah, country, electronic, grunge, 80s. <laughs> I just don't hear really genres. I hear amazing talent. And that's what I found with her. That's my all-time favorite radio DJ, Marco Collins, still going strong at KEXP in Seattle, and he's featured in the documentary film The Glamour and the Squalor. We're screening it this Thursday night, January 12th at Brewvies here in Salt Lake. Thank you so much for speaking with KRCL, Marco, and thanks for everything. Gavin, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. There you go, your preview of The Glamour and the Squalor. It's this month's feature for Music Meets Movies, Thursday at Brewby's Cinema Pub 21+. Plus. Tickets at the door, two for one with a KRCL t-shirt, folks. Doors at 6.30, movie at 7.30. A bunch of us will be down there hanging out with you, watching it, so we hope to see you. You can find more details at krcl.org. And to get us from here to our next conversation with Sue Robbins and Nika Allgood, don't get any ideas. It is that artist just mentioned there, Cassandra Lewis on KRCL. Don't get any ideas. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. KRCL is hiring a production assistant to join our staff part-time and support the Radioactive program. Details are on our website, krcl.org. KRCL is an equal opportunity employer. Yeah, send in your resume if you're interested in this little community radio station that could. I'm Laura Jones, and stick around for Democracy Now! at 7. 
Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelm at 8. Get your night train with Michelle Tanner at 10.30 and John Florence starting your brand new day at 6. Check out the whole lineup in the last two weeks of any show online at krcl.org. Just click Programs. You'll find the On Demand button and everything. All right. The rest of the hour, we're getting a legislative preview. And welcome back to Radioactive, Sue Robbins. How are you? I am doing good. It's great to be back. And we also have virtue, uh, with the virtue of Zoom, we have Nika Allgood from Mama Dragons. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. All right. We're getting a preview of what's coming up at the Utah Legislative Session. Nationally and locally, anti-transgender bills are stacking up, Sue. And I thought I'd start with you. First of all, I want to remind folks about your pedigree, shall we say. Former co-host here on Radioactive, um, Everyday People with Sue Robbins. Currently, though, you're on the Transgender Advisory Council with Equality Utah. And you're also on the Community Advisory Board over at KSL, doing some good things getting to folks and putting in your two cents. Oh, I love journalism. I think it's very important the way we can do messaging through all our journalistic venues, whether that be print, over-the-air audio, such as KRCL or TV. Everything that journalists do help to educate us and bring the stories to us. So this is so important to me. And one of the challenges that we have is finding reliable information. So stay tuned, folks. Sue has a new resource for you. But uh, right now, I'll ask Nika to be patient while we go through through some bills that are starting to percolate with a session starting next week. Yes. So most people probably have some awareness that over the last few years, there have been a lot of bills around the transgender community. I call them anti-transgender because to me, they harm our community. Those who are bringing them may feel differently. But last year, we had 155 of them across the nation. And this year, I'm not even trying to go and find the ones that I'm going to track. And I have over 80 listed one week into the year on uh, the tracking that I'm doing. And that's just from what I'm seeing pop up on social media without any real active effort. So it's going to be another hard year across the nation for activists like me and for our uh, advocacy organizations. So here in Utah, what we are seeing right now, uh, first in October in the interim session, which is uh, basically the entire session when they're not voting to pass bills, they kind of work through legislation, try it out on their peers, bring them before committees so they could see which way they might head and how they might modify them. And in the October interim Health and Human Services Committee, uh, Senator Kenny brought forth SB 16 is what it is numbered is, as now. And what it is trying to do is to regulate or ban, I should say, that regulate to where it doesn't exist, uh, surgeries for transgender youth that are considered uh, transgender affirming surgeries. So he separated the two parts. Uh, he calls them primary sexual characteristic surgeries and secondary characteristic surgeries. And when I align that with the medical documentation around the transgender community, we could call them general surgeries for the primary sexual characteristics and gender affirming for the secondary uh, sexual characteristics. Now the interesting part with first time I've had this happen in one of the healthcare bills that we've worked on is Senator Kennedy recognized that the World Professional Association of Transgender Health Standards of Care document is the care document that should be used for the transgender community. Additionally, he noted that it was supported by the Endocrine Society. 
which is a national major medical organization. Their focus is on, you know, obviously the endocrine system, so hormones and those types of things. So that goes right in line with some of the things I've been saying all along is that those standards of care are science-based and evidence proven and backed up by major medical organizations. So I have a list of support letters from almost 30 organizations that support these documents that include the Endocrine Society, along with the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and so on. So that's Senator Kennedy bringing SB 16, which is just targeting surgeries on our youth, so those under the age of 18. What we've seen filed since then is Representative Ship has brought back a bill he has run twice before, and it's pretty much the same bill that Representative Daw ran before that. So this is basically the fourth year for this bill, and it is HB 0132. And basically, it attempts to ban all transgender-related health care from our minors. So that includes the surgeries, that includes hormone therapy, that includes puberty blockers. It's just a, an all-out ban. Now, one of the interesting things to note about both of these bills that follow boilerplates across the nation, uh, and on the boilerplates, uh, the, it's interesting, Representative Ship's bill has always been in line with the boilerplates we see across the nation. Senator Kenney's isn't. He's going with his own. But what we've seen in all these bills, and Senator Kennedy includes some of this language, is it tries to exclude surgeries done on intersex infants and babies from being blocked by these bills. So the transgender community is saying when we're teenagers, there may be some interventions here we want, and the bill wants to block that. Intersex community says, you're doing all these cosmetic surgeries on us as a baby, and we want to wait till we grow up and become a teenager to be able to have a say in that. And doctors just keep doing these cosmetic surgeries and recommending them to parents. And these bills want to continue allowing that. So there's so this, no surgery unless the parent on a, of an intersex child says, no, we do want this surgery. Right. So they're allowing parents to make a complete decision for their babies mm -hmm. without any input from those kids for intersex which we don't want, and then they're sitting there when a transgender youth gets old enough to be able to say what they want, they're saying, no, we're not gonna allow that, we're gonna take that away. So it's very conflicting. It's like, we're gonna ignore what the transgender community wants, and we're gonna ignore what the intersex community wants by making opposite statements. Well, and it's interesting what happens when politicians decide to practice medicine. And there was a story today that I was listening to while I was getting ready for work, and it's about new guidance on the use of drugs and surgery early for obesity in kids, including using bariatric surgery for obese children. So is this uh, uh, no surgery for minors just about um, LGBTQ kids? Or is it no surgery for minors as a blanket statement? So it is no surgery for minors who are transgender. So let's look at the top surgeries or what he called the secondary sex characteristic surgeries. There's a whole category of them, but to use two examples, you could have breast reduction or breast augmentation, which are appropriate and sometimes requested by transgender teenagers after they've gone through years of therapy and working with their doctor and parental permission because we agree with the parental rights here. The parent is the one making the decision, not the youth. Mm. The youth has input 
the doctor has input, the mental health therapists have input. So these bills block it for transgender youth. But if you're a teenager who has um, maybe grown a lot and you're getting backaches from it, a breast reduction is still fine. So if you're not transgender, yes, you can have a breast reduction. So it is about you, your sexuality. You can have a breast augmentation. Mm -hmm. But if you're identity. transgender, this bill's going to block yeah. it. This so, is going to be an interesting session, isn't it? Because this is this is legislation that's across the country. Where's it coming out of? Who's modeling this legislation? Are you so, able to tell yet? So Senator Kenny's, like I said, is not really following the model. So he's gone off on his own. So mm -hmm. that's at least means there's probably more room for discussions. Representative Ships follows a bill uh, that we believe is comes from the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a anti-LGBT advocacy group. They're, they're against a few other things, but they're definitely against the LGBT community. And we feel like this language has come from them. What is going on as well with trans youth in sports and all the hullabaloo we had from last session? What is going to spring up this time, do you think? Or where do things stand on that issue? Well, I don't believe I'll see anything more in sports in this session because what we had is, as everyone's probably familiar with, is a bill was passed to ban transgender girls in sports. And it had a kicker in there that said, if an injunction should go against this, so if you challenge it in court and the, and the judge says, we feel like this is harming, so I'm going to put an injunction on this. You cannot enforce this law until we see it all the way through the court system. So we, the bill was a ban with that verbiage. It passed. The governor vetoed it, and then the legislature overrode that. So the ban went to effect. We sued. We got an injunction in June. We being? We being uh, Equality Utah along with the National Center of Lesbian Rights, the ACLU, along with a firm that was hired. And so that leaves us at a state right now where that district court is still hearing the case, but they put an injunction in against the ban, which kicked in a commission. That was that kicker they wrote in there because they knew they were going to lose on the ban. They stated they were going to lose, so they said, if the ban gets an injunction, then we want the commission we were trying to do before. So to me, I always said that commission was not well-defined, mm -hmm. that we hadn't really worked it out. And right now, I don't know what's up with that. Uh, I don't see any indication that a commission exists. I don't know of any parents that have tried to put their kids before it right now because after the ban got overturned, we've missed some of the opportunity for the early sports season. Mm -hmm. So some of the kids probably already had missed tryouts by that point, which means by virtue of having the ban just for a short time, it did impact some of the kids. Yeah. So there is a negative impact there. So what we expect in the legislation as a whole is we could see these health care bills take a lot of shape. So the fact that they're in the verbiage they're in right now is not necessarily final, just like the sports bill last year went from a hormone-based policy to a commission to a ban in, during the course of the session. These bills can really move a lot during the course of the session. So we need to be aware of that. We need to keep mm -hmm. up with how it's changing so we know how we can advocate on it and are how some we can write to our legislators. Are some other bills you want to talk to me before we bring Nika in? Pardon me? Are there some other bills you'd like to talk about before so we there's, bring Nika in? So there's one other possibility that's out there is Senator Weiler has opened a bill about gender identity policies in schools. So we're watching that closely. The verbiage is going to matter. Uh, we do know there's a lot of school bills out there that tend to address how we use names and pronouns for our youth. So we need that verbiage before we can really talk to it. 
And I'm going to have conversations with Senator Weiler to see where we're at on that and see what he's willing to share at this point. Okay. So that one's, when you have an unknown, you don't want to say, I'm against it, I'm for <laughs> it. Because we it's, don't know what it is We yet. really, it's just the title gives us uh, attentions that we want to learn more about it. And then we'll, we'll start advocating or talking about it after that. Well, and it's important uh, what it's going to be here in Utah, because we've seen in other states where um, potentially teachers are required to inform parents about their kids' gender identity that may not be what they left you know, home with in the morning when they get to school. So Nika Allgood, I wanted to bring you in from Mama Dragons as a parent. And um, please introduce yourself, frame yourself if you'd like for this conversation. But I want to get kind of a parent's reaction to this legislation, this ongoing uh, battle every legislative session, Nika. Thank you. Um, so I am the parent of a transgender son. Um, my son, Grayson, transitioned um, 11 years ago when he was 16 in the middle of his junior year of high school. And um, he uh, has been um, active with Equality Utah. He and I testified before the legislature as part of passing um, non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people um, in housing and employment. And um, so I talk about his experiences with his permission. He's comfortable with me doing that. Um, with Mama Dragons, I have, um, from almost the very beginning of the group, uh, been um, one of the admins of their subgroup that is specifically for moms with transgender and non-binary children. Um, and the, the guidelines about uh, medical care um, for transgender and non-binary youth um, clearly state that decisions should be made in consultation with the child, their parents, therapist with, who has experienced in um, uh, seeing clients with gender dysphoria and their doctors, right? And um, a big part of all of these bills that are trying to address medical care for transgender youth is that they are legislatures trying to insert themselves into that decision-making group of doctors, therapists, parents, and a child. Right. And just as an analogy, um, one of my sons, when he was 12 years old, had um, appendicitis and needed to have his appendix removed urgently. Um, and I imagine what it would have been like to be at the hospital with my son who was in excruciating pain um, and say, oh, well, we need to run this by the state legislature. <laughs> like, no, that, that, yeah. that is not the group that should be making medical decisions, right? Um, there is a lot of misinformation about what medical care is provided to transgender youth. Um, for transgender and non-binary youth who have not gone through puberty, um, the recommendations are to support a child in a social transition. That means letting them change the name and pronouns they go by. That means letting them change their haircut and the clothes they wear. There are no medical interventions done on prepubescent transgender or non-binary children, right? 
So when you hear people ranting about mutilating children's genitals, right? It's just like, what are you really talking about here? The medical intervention that is recommended it, um, is if a child is expressing gender dysphoria about their body at the onset of puberty is for them to go on um, medications that block puberty. Those are often called hormone blockers. And um, what those medications do is delay puberty to give the child time to be sure and the parents time to be sure, right? Until the child's a little older because there are children these days who go through puberty at age 10, right? And um, we let cisgender children go through puberty at age 10, right? We don't require them to wait for puberty, right? We just let it happen. Um, but uh, if someone's gender identity doesn't match the sex they were assigned at birth, um, the recommended practice is to delay puberty for a couple of years. So, Nika, when you're hearing about the new legislation, as Sue and I were talking about just a bit ago, what is your reaction as a parent to, to lawmakers who, who feel like they're going to lead out on that and they're going to summarize the science and put it into law? Um, honestly, my reaction is I feel like... Um, those lawmakers are not aware of what medical best practice is <laughs> because there is a consensus for medical best practice for transgender children. And that is no medical intervention until puberty and then blockers. And then when the child is older, if they are still expressing a transgender gender identity, they go on hormones so that they can go through their desired puberty. Okay. And um, uh, if a child, um, like, for example, a transgender boy, like my son, if he is able to go on hormone blockers right at the start of puberty, um, he would never develop breasts and so would never need surgery, right, to have a more masculine chest. That would just be the way it was. Um, to save if, yourself that surgery is, is oh, huge. Yes. Yeah. So as a parent, you know, my, we didn't figure out my kid was trans until he was 16. But looking back um, from the time he went through female puberty at age 10, I had a very depressed and really struggling kid. And if I could have saved him six years of trauma by being able to get her, him on hormone blockers, would I have done it? Oh, yes. That would have saved my child. Uh, so much distress. Is that um, why you're it in? Would have saved him a surgery. Yeah. Mm. Is that why you're involved in Mag, uh, in Mama Dragon still? This experience that you've had that's unique to you and your son Grayson, and with his permission, you share his story in your outreach to to inform the public, to inform lawmakers, Nika. Mama Dragons is focused on supporting mothers of LGBTQ kids, and so. Um, within that group, my goal is to help moms um, uh, get access to good information about uh, what their uh, children need and to help support those moms as they advocate for their kids, right? Because 
you know, adults can advocate for themselves, but our, our minor children um, are uniquely vulnerable. Their ability to advocate for themselves is limited. They really need their parents to step up. So sharing stories is crucial to the public policy conversation, Sue, right? Absolutely. It is one of the things that I have been recommending a lot of people who are wanting to get involved is if you have someone who's transgender in your family, yourself or one of your children, sharing those stories can be very impactful. So as we try and reach out to our legislators, which I'm encouraging our community to reach out more, reach out before the session starts, which we're only a week away now, so that time is running short, but also to continue the conversation because in previous years, what I feel I've seen is we've done well in the legislature up to the sports bill. So when something would come up, we would have a community outcry and then it would pull back again. And we were able to get some good legislation like the hate crimes bill during efforts like that. But I think the sports bill has kind of drawn attention that maybe we as a community all need to be engaged even at a higher level, which means continuing involvement. I also believe if you have a transgender kid or any type of LGBT youth in your family, that if they are in a place where they are okay with it and will be able to do this, introducing them to legislators can be very impactful. We look at people like Senator Thatcher, who on the Senate floor refused to vote to overturn the ban because he knew in his heart how it was gonna hurt our community and it was because during the course of his previous work on suicide bills, he met transgender youth and they touched his heart. And we know this is true for others who have met uh, transgender youth. So sometimes making it personal and being able to see one-on-one -on -one as opposed to an email is huge. And these legislators may not know any transgender kids, so it just becomes a bill that comes with an explanation from the sponsor on why they think it's needed, and that's the viewpoint they get. So now I feel like education is where we need to be. We've looked at the bills in the past years and we say, there's far right people pushing these bills. And right now, because we've done that, we have, may have not reached to the legislators who are just like us at one point that said, what does transgender mean? How does this work? Mm -hmm. And if all we're doing is getting upset, we're pushing them away. Okay. So we need to remove ourselves from the upset mode as much as we can. I always say I don't want to tone police anybody, but if you could yell at the tree and then get it out of your system and then talk with the legislature, we're trying to bring them along for the ride. And right now there's a lot of them that need that. Um, I think Nika has some great ideas on communication, too, and I appreciate that what she's been sharing. Nika, do you want to uh, go a little further with that? I just wanted to make the point that um, asking a transgender child to delay their access to medical care is not neutral, right? Their body will proceed with an unwanted puberty and all of the changes that entails. And so it's not just saying, oh, well, you can do this later. It's in the meantime, we're going to let your body continue to betray your interests. <laughs> so I think if we can help our legislators understand that, um, that intervening to delay care is not neutral to our children. 
Do you have that will some help them make better decisions? Do you have some tips for folks in approaching lawmakers or approaching their elected representatives with their stories or with their concerns, um, with uh, how they'd like them to vote? Do you have some tips? Um, I think legislators need two things um, for their education. One is stories, like Sue talked about, and the other is data. For most people, it helps to have the stories first, and then they can hang the data on those stories. And uh, Sue has created a website with a lot of that data available. Sue, do you want to plug your website? Well, nice segue. <laughs> so we were just saying we need to bring that in. So. One of the things, because I've recognized the increased activity that we're going to have from the committee and talk with their legislators, is I wanted to put the information that I've been collecting over the years of my work out in a place where people can access it, read it, and utilize it as they want to. Now, recognizing there's a lot of medical information here, so it can be a lot. There are certain ways that uh, you can access this and maybe get some high-level parts out of it. But the website is Sue in Utah, so S-U-E-I-N-U-T dot com. And this is going to be a growing um, wealth of information that I'm trying to put there. Some of it is around studies that have been done. Some of it is links to policy statements by major medical organizations. So it shows that there's uh, easily 30 major medical organizations that say don't touch transgender youth health care. It needs to be there and it needs to be available. So they're, they're asking legislators not to do that. These are the people that give us all the science for all our medicine that we do throughout our hospitals and our doctors. It's all our health care. So why wouldn't we listen to them for this? And then I'm also doing a blog so that way uh, if you don't follow the legislator legislature closely. I'll try and summarize the progress and the changes as th things go along. And I pinned one at the top. So if you look at this website and say, that's a lot of information, then go to the blog and just read the first post. The first post looks at the two transgender youth health care bills as presented right now and walks through how the medical knowledge that's on this page in the WPATH standards of care that I talked to earlier and the policy statements of the major medical organizations, how it all ties through so that we can say the science is really here. So Sue Robbins has created this new resource, folks, and it also has phone numbers for folks that are struggling and need help as well. we'll put it in the show notes, but Sue, what is that website one more time? So it's sueinutah.com, so S-U-E-I-N-U-T.com. And Nika, Mama Dragons, how can folks catch up with your organization? Our website is mamadragons.org, and from the website, you can access um, our Facebook groups. You can ask to join those. You can also access our uh, Parachute e-learning program that can help extended family learn how to love and support their LGBTQ kids. Well, Nika Allgood, Sue Robbins, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and your insights, and I hope you'll come back soon. Sound good? Always. Very much. Thank All you. Right. Nika and Sue. Check tonight's show notes for links to Sue's new website and the Mama Dragons. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight. Tomorrow night, it is a radioactive preview of the Sundance Film Festival, which runs January 19th through the 29th, plus Slam Dance through the lens of Downwind, a documentary about nuclear fallout in the U.S., 
And also, Sign the Show, a new documentary about sign language at concerts and events. That's coming up tomorrow night. And then on Wednesday, Professor Amos Giora on a new initiative to study ecosystems of abuse. Rising journalists of Salt Lake Community College are back on Thursday. And then Friday, it's Punk Rock Farmer Friday with more true tales from the agrihood with Al Dine and me. Democracy Now! coming up next. Thanks for listening and have a great night. KRCL, Salt Lake City. Koi Studio is an in-house, sustainable cut-and-sew studio at Clever Octopus that utilizes reclaimed textiles to create one-of-a-kind tote bags, fanny packs, dop kits, dog bandanas, dog toys, and more. All was available at Clever Octopus, 2250 Southwest Temple in Salt Lake, and online at cleveroctopus.org slash coi studio.